This is Sasha. And Arden. And we're back with another episode of our Percy Jackson The After Show analysis. Yes, and I want everyone to know I really persevered by doing this today. Um, Not only did I shit myself, (laughs) I also have a cold and I couldn't breathe for half the day. But the shitting was really the highlight of my day. Um, I'm not sure if I should be telling you all this, but... It's too late now, so maybe you can cut it out after, I don't know. I doubt you will. <laughs> Do some editing and post. Well, Logie Bear is out here too, so yeah. he'll maybe contribute when he feels like he wants to come by and say hi. I don't, oh, there's Shrek. Okay. So, we basically already covered in our last podcast episode, we don't think that Sea of Monsters is... Sea of Monsters is unequivocally I mean, number five on the list. We both agree that, ty- that The Lightning Thief is number four. Mm-hmm. Sea of Monsters takes the number five spot. After this, it gets a little bit tricky with us, but we've decided on that much. Well, yeah, we'll get to the rest when we get there, but Sea of Monsters, I kind of always thought was mostly just okay as a kid. Like, yeah. it was one that I never really wanted to reread. Hi, Logan. Do you want to get up on the couch? It was one I was never really that interested in rereading. I never found its supporting cast to be, like, the most interesting of all of the supporting cast in the series. Or the quest to be particularly interesting. But I did have a lot of fun with it this time around, I have to say. Like, I did really enjoy myself. Yeah, I mean, I love the book. I think that it is a very good book. I just think that in comparison to the other four books, it just doesn't... It doesn't compare. Yeah. But it is still a very good book. And, um, Logan! <laughs> he's sitting, like, directly on her lap, but he's, like, almost as big as she is. Oh my gosh. It is- Ow! He bit my chin. <laughs> um, yes. The- I mean, we re- we're gonna have to have a discussion about Tyson in this book. Yeah. We he's are. He's definitely on my list- on yes. my list of- Ow! But what is your first- Things to discuss. What is your first topic? So, my first topic was... Ow! Stop it! Remember, we don't bite people. They don't like it. They make <laughs> scared puppy noises. Oh my god. Go get go get your toy. Sasha, this is not gonna go out. I thought he would behave himself better, but... No, you can't be here if you're not gonna behave. Okay. So, my first major point on my list we'll get to later, I think. But... Because it's more just about, like, decisions that the series makes as a whole. But I guess we'll go right out the gate. This book has, like, some significant Percibeth, like, development moments. It does. It does. I love it. Like, right away, it's opening with Percy at school. And And the picture of Annabeth. He keeps a picture of Annabeth in in his binder, which is really sweet. A simp to the end. (laughs) Well, you know, it's just, like, keeping a picture of your, like, friend who you only see, like, a few times a year around. And he gets, like, someone, like, makes a comment, some bully, about Annabeth being his girlfriend, which he gets mad about. Then there's a lot of conflict between the two that is in keeping with what's established in The Lightning Thief. Like, they, they're not, always, they're not like, on the best of terms this entire book because of the Tyson conflict. Yeah. But there's a couple more, like, really key significant developments, which is when the two that I have down are with the sirens, obviously, Mm -hmm. that's, like, a really big moment because, not because I think it makes it so that, like, they're aware that they like each other or anything like that, but it's just that Percy is allowed into a part of Annabeth that he, like, didn't understand before, basically. 
I also think that a really good part, this might be your second one, is when she told him her story about the Cyclops Lair. Yeah, no, that's true, too. It's, like, good, you get more Annabeth backstory, and there's actually, like, a lot of Annabeth backstory to be had, you realize, in these books, because we get even more of it in The Titan's Curse. Yes, and it, you sort of keep getting backstory throughout the series for Annabeth. It, yeah. It does, uh, there isn't too much in Battle Labyrinth, but there is some. There's a little bit. Logan, you are not making this very relaxing or easy. Another, like, really big moment for them, I mean, it's not huge, like, Percy kind of plays it down, but at the end of the book, she does kiss him on the cheek, which is sweet. Yeah, and he's literally, like, that was, like, my first anything kiss, basically. Yeah. Oh my god. Logan! <laughs> Those are the major Percybeth moments that I can remember. Are there any that I'm missing out on? I mean, there's Cersei, obviously, like, Annabeth, like, saves Percy from being yeah, and turned into like, a guinea pig I, forever. Yeah, and then she says, like, that famous line when she was, like... I'm glad you're not a guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Which is such an Annabeth thing to say. It's like, it's a little bit of a low bar, too, I'll say. <laughs> like, I'm glad not. Logan isn't a guinea pig. Although, in moments like Mom these, and Dad I wish kinda, he was. They do wish he was a guinea pig. Hey, get... Oh, my God. I'm going to get his toy. Maybe just stick him in the closet. He's bringing it back. He wants someone to, he wants someone to tug on it. There we go. We'll do that for a bit. Another, like, big change that I think makes this book really interesting is that Chiron isn't at camp anymore. They bring in Tantalus as a character, which is really fun. Yeah, except Tantalus is such an asshole. I mean, he's so- he is an asshole and he's really evil, but I like that he's there just because it gives the camp- it kind of reminds me of the fifth Harry Potter book where Umbridge has, like, taken over the- the school, you know what I mean? That's the fifth? I thought that was, like- I thought that was not the fifth. I thought that was, like, earlier. No, I mean, Dumbledore gets removed as headmaster a few times during the series, but the fifth one is the one where Umbridge is in charge, like, for the majority of the book. Jeez, I fucking hated that movie just because of her. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tantalus is cool. He's a little demonic, but... Yeah, I mean, he's kind of one-dimensional. There's not a lot going on, but I don't feel like there needs to be. But him, him and Dionysus's uh, Dynamic. Dynamic is so funny. It is funny. Mr. D is literally like, I fucking hate you. Uh, I would honestly prefer Chiron at this point, but <laughs> you're what I got right now. So I'm just gonna work and with it. And he just, like, loves watching him struggle to like, get the food and the drinks they can't have. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's so funny. Mr. D, like, feeds off of people's displeasure, basically. It's true. Like, I, like, I'm really starting to appreciate Dionysus more during this reread. Like, it wasn't that I, like, didn't like him when I first read the books, but I just didn't really care about him. Like... I thought, like, the moment in The Last Olympian with him and Percy was good, but I wasn't, like... I didn't really have strong feelings about Dionysus either way. But this time I'm really, like, appreciating him for his role in the story and, like, what yeah. he does as, like, a mentor figure, basically. Because he does have a decent role. The only thing that never changes is, like, Percy does not like him. Till Percy the end. never likes him, Till yeah. the end. Which honestly makes sense. It makes he sense. He really did, like, basically bully Percy. He did, and, like, Dionysus also, there were multiple times where the gods were like, maybe we should kill Percy, and Dionysus was like, maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, like, being like, I can turn you into any fucking animal I want to turn you into. Yeah, like, constantly threatening to, like, drive him crazy, to turn him into different animals, yes. to kill him. Basically like, using, like, terrorizing him. Terrorizing him. Yeah. It was really not a smart idea for Zeus to stick Dionysus at that camp for his punishment. That being said, like, 
I do like that. That's just that isn't a decision that Rick Riordan makes that isn't in Greek mythology. <laughs> that I think is really cool. Like he makes that decision specifically for this the series. You know what I mean? Are we gonna, like, pause? Yeah, we should pause to take care of this. All right, we took care of that little Logie Bear interlude. <laughs> we tried to include him in the podcast, but he's just a little too young, and he's also just a brat. <laughs> Simply. <laughs> but what I was saying was that I like the decision to have Dionysus be, like, a key part of the camp. Because Chiron, like, training heroes, that's something that's in, like, that has, like, a basis in Greek mythology. Yes. And as far as I'm aware, Dionysus being, like, a hero trainer absolutely does not. <laughs> like, I know that he was- Dionysus has an interesting backstory that I don't think these books get into, which is that he was born a half-blood and then became- a god they get into it a little bit in um the second series talk that they have i think it's in the last that's what i was wondering i was like maybe they get into it there um but that's really they get into a little bit more in heroes of olympus but it's really not talked about yeah but i think that's like really interesting and i think that might be why rick riordan when he was thinking about who he was gonna have in charge of the camp he might have gone with dionysus because theoretically dionysus would be like a good role model for these kids who are half-bloods who could potentially, like, ascend to godhood. You know yeah. what I mean? Theoretically. <laughs> but, mm-mm. In practice, not so much. What I think is interesting is, like, if you think about Dionysus versus Hercules, Hercules mm-hmm. is someone that people always forget he's a god because they yeah. just, like, they have him sort of immortalized as a demigod. Yeah. But it's like Dionysus. Dionysus no became one... a full-ass god. Yes, not only did he become, like, one of the 12 Olympians, but also, like, people really only think of him as a god. They don't really remember that he was a demigod. No, that's really true. Like, he's always, he's kind of always thought of as being a god, rather than, he's not remembered for being a hero, that's what um, it is. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure him and Hercules were demigods, like, at the same time. I don't know. I guess when you start to ask questions like that, then you really get into, like, the age of some of these myths and how some of these myths are, like, combinations of one myth or adapted from a local, regional, like, tribe. Yes. You know what Apparently, I mean? Apparently, though, um, in Heroes of Olympus, it's talked about because there are a lot of minor gods and goddesses that are brought up in that series. Hecate? Yeah. Yeah, she... She's brought up in Sea of Monsters, actually, very briefly, yes. but... Yes, along with um, Calypso, yeah. I believe. Uh, and Medea, who's also in here. Medea is brought up in the third book. Not I thought they brought monsters. up. Yeah, I don't know. I just know that they brought her up. But, but yeah, basically they helped Hecate de- defeat one of the giants, mm-hmm. uh, Clytius, together. So, like according to that story, they were both demigods, and she was the goddess that helped defeat the giant. Oh, okay, that makes so sense. If, yes, if that is true, then they were demigods at the same time. But I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't done any research on it. Yeah, that might just be what, like, Rick Riordan, like, how he fuddles with stuff. For, yeah, which like, honestly, if he fuddled with that, I don't I don't really see the point in him doing that, because it doesn't make a difference. It, it made no <laughs> difference. It was, like, one line in, like, the entire series. Yeah, well, I think that's probably why he was just like, ah, it'll be, like, a nice, like, shout-out cameo if Hercules and Dionysus did it at the same time, but it doesn't, like, swing the plot, like, But I have to believe Dionysus is older than Hercules. I think so, too. Like, 100%. I guess now, again, we're getting into, do we mean, like, the lore that exists in our world, or, like, the, like, Hercules the Hercules is definitely Riordan more, like, revered than Dionysus. Oh, 100%. Even though I don't necessarily understand it 100%. I mean, Hercules Well, Hercules is, is more of, like, a tragic figure in some ways. 
Yes, like... Because he, he dies, um, I think the story that Rick Riordan repurposes for Titan's Curse with Phoebe's shirt having centaur, centaur acid in it, I think that's a repurpose of how Hercules dies. Because he puts on, like, a cloak or something that his, one of his, his attendants has, like, put, like, no, centaur blood on it. His wife, yeah. Uh, yeah, someone, I think it was... Hera? Yeah, Can, classic. Always Hera, Hera. Always Hera. But we'll, be, we'll really get into Hera in Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah. But, um... Which is ironic, too, because Hercules, his name, and... I Heracles. Is Heracles. In Sea of Monsters, Percy actually calls him Heracles once, and then he calls him Hercules later in the book, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder if, like, in some... In, like, an earlier draft, Rick Riordan was calling him Heracles, and then... I wouldn't be surprised, because He in switched Greek, over. In Greek, it's it Heracles. Is, it is Heracles. Like, that's what it's supposed to be, but it's become... Romanized so as better. Hercules. I prefer Heracles, honestly, but I don't mind I don't, Hercules. because I fucking hate Hera. Get out. <laughs> She's literally, like, the worst mother figure in the world. She is. She does not... Well, yes, like, she's basically the goddess of motherhood and, like, family. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's, like, how many of the kids on the council are Hera's actual children? Like, none of them, right? No, there are. Uh, Hephaestus and Ares. Hephaestus and Ares, so those two. And yes. then Athena is, like, a half-child. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and then the twins are Zeus. The twins? A lot of them are... Most of them are Zeus, Zeus. kids, but not with Hera. Except yes. for Hephaestus and Ares. And I think that's interesting that these books don't ever really get into. And, like, I don't know if I really expect Dionysus them to. Dionysus is also Zeus's son, I think. Yeah, but with another yeah. woman. Um, um, which is that, like, Hera is the goddess of mothers, but we don't ever really see her be a mother. Basically. No, we just see her be a raging bitch. <laughs> I think that's something that, like, I honestly think is a little unfortunate that Rick Riordan just kind of committed to that sort of, like, two-dimensional Yeah, and he carried it into the second her, series as well. Or, like, response to her. Like, I wish he had given her, like, a more nuanced He did at the beginning. It seemed like Battle Labyrinth, like, she was gonna be, like, a cool, like, goddess figure. And then yeah. towards the end, they were all just, like, she kind of screws over. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that brings us to my other point too which is in all of these episodes i kind of want to talk about the gods in each book this book only has dionysus and hermes am i wrong um, am i missing someone i mean Ares is there like once in like a vision that clarice is talking to but i think the only gods we run into are hermes basically and then dionysus yeah like, does he even does percy even hear from poseidon in this book not really oh he gets the brace yourself card Bro, the fucking brace yourself card. I was like, you you might as well just not send your kid anything. Like, come on, man. I mean, it sort of did end up helping him out, but it's yeah. also like two words, and then Martha and um, oh yeah, uh, George. Martha and George were like, just know he means well. He oh means gosh. well, and then he opens it and he's just like, brace yourself. How the fuck does he mean well? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I know. And Hermes has such, like, an interesting and fun role in this book, too. Because I think, for the most part, when they get sent on quests in these books, they get sent by, like, the camp, or they, like, find a way around the camp, or... But it's, like, from the Oracle, basically. Yeah. And in this book, the Oracle does send Clarice on the quest, but what's fun i think about hermes role is that he basically sneaks them out of camp gives them everything they need 
to go and then sends them on their merry way. Like, it's he basically almost like, overrides the Oracle. He basically overrides the Oracle. Which is, um, like, funny because him and Apollo also have some beef, I think. They, they do. Mythology, so it's like, bro, I don't know if that's going to settle well. But. I know. Well, I kind of wish I was gotten into more. And it, yeah. there is, like, a little homage to it in Titan's Curse, but it's not, like, huge. But, um... Wait, what's said in Titan's Curse? It's basically, like, at the council and the solstice, Apollo is, like, giving this, like, haiku, and Hermes is like, oh my gosh, shut the fuck up, while he's, like, on the phone, like, talking to someone. Like, he, like, clearly does not want to hear Apollo's haiku. They, like, bicker a little bit about it, but that's it. Hermes is really cool. I will give He's that. cool. Like, th- I think that's what I like about him. Like, he's cool, he's fun, he seems to be good-intentioned, but and then you find be- out there's yes. this, like, not, I wouldn't say, like, seedier underbelly to it, but, like, he's a flaw. Like at the same time, like but at you know the same what I time, mean? he can be serious. Like he, he can. He's not like he's Apollo. multifaceted. He's not like Apollo, where Apollo's basically like, like comedic just, all the time. Yes, like he can be funny, but he can also be very serious. I think that's what I really enjoy about Hermes, and you get this in this book, which is that a lot of the gods in these books tend to be pretty two dimensional. I think even Artemis is like this as well. Like Artemis and Apollo, like they have their personalities, and like. They have a moment where they'll kind of break away from that, like Apollo when he's a little serious as the homeless guy, and Artemis when she congratulates Percy. But for the most part, they're just their god type, like who they are, what they do. Like they conform pretty straightforward to that. Ares is similar too, honestly. There's not yeah. much complicated about Ares. Hermes is, I think, one of the most complicated of the gods, up there with like Dionysus. Poseidon. And I will. We can get into this later, because I'm not actually sure how complicated Poseidon is when you compare him to people like Dionysus and Hermes. I think that it's just not getting... He like, just doesn't He doesn't into. get the same amount of screen time as those characters, so yes. he isn't given the same opportunity to have that, amo- that amount of depth, but that depth is kind of implied by Percy. And it is also implied, like, in later books, because um, basically the way that Poseidon like, works is... The way his children turn out is based on sort of like the tide, like how it like, yeah. changes. Like it, he's just a very moody person, so it's like it's like the Targaryen thing, where it's like every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. So it's like uh, he'll have a son like Percy, who will be like heroic to the court, and then he'll have like a son like um, Skyron, who. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, him? I remember you telling yes. me about that. That's actually in one of our previous episodes too. Oh well. There you go. The reference back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's really cool, but they don't get into that. Yeah. Which I think is a missed opportunity, honestly. And Hermes is given kind of the opportunity to be multifaceted in this book. And he only has two scenes, but it's the first one is when he meets Percy and he just talks to Percy. And that's what actually you get a little backstory with him and Apollo there because he talks about how when he was a kid he stole like one of Apollo's cows or something, which is like an original myth. And then he's kind of, like, this fun dude who sends Percy on this quest, but there's this, like... I think what's interesting is Hermes is pretty honest about his ulti- ulterior motive from the get-go. Yeah, like, he's basically, like, trying to save myself. He's like, I'm sending you on this quest, go do what, like, you think is, like, right, basically. But, like... And, and he's like, save my son. And he doesn't tell Percy the direction that he's sending him is, di- like, they are going to encounter Luke, like, immediately. Yeah. But he, like, sends him on that course and then which honestly kind of is a suicide mission yeah it's like okay that one was a little bit like hermes come on man like yeah you can't wait until they get them on the way back like come on yeah and the fact that he didn't give them any like escape no percy had to just they happen to have a life like a A lifeboat well and they had the wind too that hermes gave them that wind is like a critical 
That's true. Aid in those in that book. So I guess I guess Hermes did kind of plan ahead because when else would they need fucking? Wind he gave them like a lot of shit, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. and it worked. It makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels that Hermes would be the one to engage or to like help Percy in that way because he's the god of traveling, the god of thieves, and also he's Luke's dad. So he kind of hits like all of like the three big ones just in, like, that moment right away. And honestly, this is what I really do hate about the Sea of Monsters movie. There are a lot of things I hate about the Sea of Monsters oh movie, actually, but... The Hermes in that movie, disgraceful, thing, disgraceful. Yes. I don't care if you like, like Nathan Fillion or whatever. Office. No, no, exactly. Like, that's not interesting. Like, they needed to meet on the beach. Yes. He needed to be a runner, okay? Yes. That's what's also so cool. Like, Hermes, like, a lot of the... And this is true of a lot of the gods. Like, a lot of the gods, when you meet them, they do embody, like, a modern <laughs> take, kind of, of that god. I think the post office thing is just too on the nose for the movie like i think and also if hermes goes and is running on the beach and meets percy then it's about hermes seeking out a hero instead of the hero seeking out a god you know what i mean like i think that's like a key distinction and then it kind of comes full circle in the end to when he's in the stables and that's when percy meets him basically for the last time until the last book which is crazy but that has a more morose Hermes in that moment, too, because Percy's like, look, I did what I could. And that's when Hermes kind of kind of gives him this talk about family that I think is yeah. interesting. Which is also ironic and kind of hypocritical, but <sighs> all the same, more power to you, I guess. Yeah, well, Hermes does, I can't exactly remember what his, like, what he tells Hermes, or tells Percy. I mean, I think that the main, like... The main thing is you don't give up on family. Yeah, it was just, you don't give up on family, and he was like, I know that it was kind of, like, a futile, like thing that I was trying to do but I had to try yeah which like kudos like yeah I guess like you you he did try he tried <laughs> he, he tried. tried a little late but he tried he tried yeah and Percy does try to like appeal to Luke and tell him he's like your dad like really like and then Luke is like don't fucking mention my father, do not bitch. fucking speak his name Luke gets so mad and this is something else I wanted to talk about too where I think it's of all the decisions that Rick Riordan makes in these books some of them are hits some of them are misses one of my favorite decisions that he makes that I think is really fun is having Luke be the son of Hermes. Because as a villain, I know you're laughing, but as a villain in Greek mythology, it would be easy to have the villain be a son of Hades, or a son Ares. of Ares, a son of Zeus even. But, but really they end up being the heroes. But they end up being the heroes. And having Luke be a son of Hermes, I think is a really interesting decision because it's not like Hermes is like, Hermes is the god of thieves, but that's not inherently like something that you would be like, oh, so they're going to be like the villain supreme, you know, like that could go kind of either way. It could be petty. It could like help the heroes. It could be like an anti-hero situation where it's more like Nico, where sometimes they're on their side, sometimes they're not. And, like, basically, like, I think what's interesting is that Hermes, what he is the god of, doesn't translate immediately to the role that Luke has in the story. You know, what I do think that he kind of missed an opportunity on is he could have given Luke some powers. I think so, too. And I was thinking about this when I was, um, like, 14 or 15 reading Heroes of Olympus, and suddenly all the gods' kids got cool powers, which was not the case in the original series. Well, I mean, Ares, Athena, and Hermes. Yeah. I think that it would have been cool if children of Hermes could, like, understand any language, because Hermes is, like, also, like, the god of languages, I think, again, depending on these nuances, or if they could have, like, I think teleporting would have been too much, but something to do with travel, you know what I mean? Yeah, basically in Heroes of Olympus, it is, like, revealed that the Athena children are very good at weaving, 
Yeah. Um, and just things like that. Like, they can just think on... That's why Emmett's, like, so smart. She can just think on the spot and, like, come up with, like, random crazy ideas that just yeah. end up working. Um, and then, like, Clarice is just really good in war, but, like, I don't know. Honestly, sometimes Clar- Clarice is a two-dimensional character, too. She can be, and but, she kind of is in this book, but she gets but she a little, gets bit, a little bit She Yeah, I mean, you basically find out she's abused. Yeah. Which we should probably talk about, but yeah. <laughs> what's your next topic? Well, I just want to... Bef- we can actually get into the supporting cast really quickly. I just want... What would your idea be, like, if we gave Luke powers, or if Ricky gave Luke powers? Because part of me does like that he doesn't have any powers because it means that he's basically just, like, a mastermind. You know what I mean? And he's, like, just really good at a sword. Like, he has these really base, awesome, heroic instincts. So, like, if I gave him a power, I wouldn't want it to be, like, a superpower, like Percy or Sally or something. I would want him to have a power that's, like, more low-key, but, like, boosts, like, Like, what he can already do. Like, I think, like, him being able to speak any language would have been cool. It wouldn't have been super plot-relevant, but it would have helped, like, build the four. It it could have been, like, this is how he's building, like, an army. Or if he could have, honestly, something cool. Could have been Mr. Worldwide. Mr. (laughs) Mr. Worldwide. If he could have, like, I don't know, if there's some way that Children of Hermes could, like, eavesdrop on Iris messages... Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. That would have been really like cool. That or sort of like an invisibility thing. Just like something that helps with sort of the thieves part of Hermes. Yeah. Um, like the thief travel yeah. message like component. Like something that just ties it all together. But I think the reason Rick probably didn't do that is because it's it's so hard to think of one that like, really it, does it justice. Yeah, especially one that suits Luke's needs as a villain when you're just looking at it from like a writer perspective. And also just his personality. Like yeah. the thing about Luke is like he's just cutthroat. He's one of the best swordsmen the only person in like according to the book the past 300 years that could you know go up against him is percy i know which is insane and it's it's worth noting that that ability of luke's is not tied to him being a son of hermes no, it's just yeah, that he's, he's really just incredibly good. skillful and that's something that people don't appreciate about him that i do I have know. to give to him like he is very he's very witty he's very smart and he's very skilled yeah and it's just something that people do tend to gloss over and a lot of times people do sort of give like the big bad to Kronos but it's like Luke is the mastermind behind yeah. it all. Like there wouldn't be a Kronos if Luke is the one who executes it all. Like yeah. Kronos could be sending out like don't get me wrong, there is a degree to which Kronos manipulates Luke. And that's yes. we, and that you can't argue otherwise because of the end of Last Olympian. Luke basically admits to that being the fact. But at the same time Luke is, like, the one who sets all of those plans in motion. Luke has to navigate being the leader of this army with getting the Achilles curse, with resurrecting Kronos, with managing the gods. And in the first book, like, one of the coolest things that we know about Luke that we don't see is he fucking stole the The Helm of Darkness and the the lightning lightning bolt. bolt. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That is so crazy. Also, just the fact that he could withstand the River Styx. The River Styx, and he held up the sky for, like, we don't know how long, but he held up the sky for a significant amount of time. I don't think it was very long, because I think the entire, like, plot point in Titan's Curse, which we will get to, is basically that, like, he held it up for the sole reason that Annabeth would take it. Yeah, it was, like, a part of, like, a manipulation thing, but he did hold up the sky. He did. (laughs) My guess would be he held it up for about the same time Percy held it up for. Yeah. Except, honestly, maybe not even that long, because he didn't come out of it with the grace with a gray streak. Well, his hair is gray afterwards. 
His hair is gray. It's like it's shot with gray. Like Percy and part it's tied to Luke's general appearance being bad and him looking very sickly. But Percy does note that his hair looks like silver rather than like blonde like it used to. Damn, that's crazy. I didn't pick up on that. I know. Well, and it's interesting because, like, Luke, what you realize then is that, like, Luke, Percy, Luke and Percy go through, like, so many of the same, like, magical, um, problems in terms of, like, the sky, the river sticks, like, crazy dad bullshit, like. No, yeah, Percy definitely has respect for Luke. Yeah. Which I think is something that he struggles with throughout the books because he's like, I literally respect, like, the guy that I'm like basically well, going to war with it's interesting because in the first three books like or in the first in sea of monsters and titan's curse he has nothing but bad things to say about luke which yeah. honestly like makes sense makes sense yeah but we'll get into more like luke stuff obviously as like the books progress because there's enough i think with him to talk about with every single book but i do think it is obvious that he does have respect for him and what he is capable of yeah, especially by the end. It's another one of those things where it's like, once you read The Last Olympian, you can't really argue otherwise because yeah. of how The Last Olympian ends. Luke is honestly not that big of a villain in Sea of Monsters. Like, he's there at the beginning when he kidnaps them and, like, tricks them. And then he's there at the end when he tries to steal the fleece back. But for the most part, Luke is kind of just biding his time in this book. This book establishes the, like, Kronos is being resurrected, like, piece by piece. And, like, every half-blood who joins Luke's cause is, like, another piece of Kronos' body and stuff yeah. like that. But for the most part, Luke is kind of laying low. Yeah, and it shows that Luke is, like, taking people from Camp, camp Half-Blood That's and true. them. This is the introduction of the plot point of, like, Luke being, like, a rival option for Half-Bloods and so next I want to talk like more about the supporting characters because the big supporting characters that we get in this book are Clarice and Tyson. And we've already talked about Clarice, so I think we should maybe go with her, where Clarice is yeah, kind of a bit of a two-dimensional character, honestly. Like, I think this book does a lot to help kind of like establish like a working friendship with her and Percy and Annabeth. That's really nice. Like at the end of the book when Percy sends her on the plane with the fleece. Yeah. and lets her, like, get the glory for winning the quest. But I feel like there's still not a lot of, like... I guess the most nuance that we get out of her in this book is her relationship with Ares. Which, honestly, is very glossed over. It's very glossed over. It's, Im like, it's implied to be abusive, and that's basically it. But then it, it like, it doesn't really go anywhere from that. Like, it really no doesn't. Last Olympian, like, she gets, like, the blessing of Ares, yeah. basically. But still, like just it doesn't go anywhere she's yeah. just like oh i like have to please my father well and she it doesn't have the development she should have yeah from an abusive relationship it's true well and it makes me wonder too if maybe like the implication is not necessarily that the relationship is abusive just that he was like threatening her in that moment like like we don't really know how often Aries, they even talk, they even talk yeah. and how like that could have been like the second time clarice had ever seen him you know what i mean like they definitely have enough of a relationship for him to have claimed her and when she prayed he provided her with like the crew for the quest but we really just know very very little about their relationship so there's not a ton to go on but it's also you can only expect so much from aries <laughs> yeah no it's true and aries in, in in the next book again shows up again as a villain so well aries is just like a bad guy like he is a god and like he's aligned correctly but he's like the worst he's a bad them. dude yeah, yeah he's just not a good not a good dude 
not a good dude. Worst of the twelve, definitely. Yeah, I mean, as Mars, like, in his Roman form, he is better. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Which is, yes, very funny, because you would think that the Roman form would be, like, a lot more cutthroat than yeah. Greek. But I know the Romans also had a lot more gods and goddesses of war. Yeah, so that might have, like, taken parts of the Ares personality and, like, given it to, like, yeah. another, like, god or goddess. So. Yeah. That makes sense. And then Clarice du- is, like, a great part of, I think, the finale when they uh, take care of the Cyclops and they get the fleece. The one thing is that there's, like, multiple scenes where she, like, won't shut up. <laughs> no! Like, and she's, like, when taunting people. When she literally, people. like, outs Grover. She I know! She outs Grover, but I do she have to say Grover her and Grover's almost. dialogue is very funny. It yeah. is very funny. But, yeah, her being, like, Grover, is, like, is that you? It's like, girl, read the room! And then she's She's not in a dress for no reason. She's like, he's a satyr. Like, don't you know that? And then Cyclops is like, time for dinner. (laughs) Like, bro, literally read the room. I know. (laughs) Like, why else would he be dressed in a dress? Yeah. Like, does Grover... Casually just wear dresses? Yeah, no. Like, no. Like, is Grover prepared to be a bride? (laughs) I did miss Grover in this book, too. This book does establish, like, the empathy link between him and Percy that will be, like, a big deal in the books to come. Mm -hmm. And it's more about, like, his quest for Pan. I like that in this book, too, they establish that the fleece has been misleading satyrs for, like, years. It feels like once they... they get the fleece that puts Grover in a position where he's one step closer to finding Pan because this like whole art alternate route has been like cut off. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is very cool that the fleece did that. I mean, I know. It, it sucks because that led a shit ton of satyrs to their deaths. Rest in peace. But, F um, F in the shot. Literally, his uncle Ferdinand. I know. <laughs> and then Auntie too. Yeah, that's the thing too. I love that. Like when Grover goes on these quests with them, there are things that are relevant to Grover and to Grover's quest as as well as what's going on yes. with the demigods. Like I just I love the way that Rick really made sure the core three were not two dimensional characters. Yeah, and like what I really enjoy is that a lot of these objects in this book and in the series as a whole operate on multiple levels like they do multiple things for the story like the fleece is the quest it's what they're going after it's going to heal the tree it's also going to resurrect thalia it's also going to put grover's you know mission for pan like one step forward than it used to be yeah and like a lot of those things aren't even known as they're going to get it too no, yeah, they're just going to get it, basically, like, hoping that hoping it'll, it'll save Hoping it'll do something, and hoping that it'll get Chiron his job back, mm-hmm. and saving Grover, which, at, at the beginning, they don't even know they're, like, in the same area. Yeah, they really don't. But like, Percy's just like, I have a feeling, and Annabeth's like, okay, then I guess we'll go with your feeling, even though you're normally wrong, but <laughs> that's all we got. And then the other big supporting character in this book is Tyson. I, I don't even know if I'd call him supporting. I'd say he's... He's a main. He's a main. I, honestly, you're right. He's like a, I feel like he's a supporting character in the series as a whole. Yes. If you zoom out a little but bit, this but this book and Battle Labyrinth, he's a main character. He's definitely a bigger character than Clarice in this book for sure. Yeah. And Tyson is a character who's not necessarily that two dimensional in terms of his personality, but I do feel like there is like a real roundness to him as a character. There is. Like he's he um, does the first have this half, kind of development. Though, the first half of the book, he is very fucking annoying. <laughs> and I think that is something we should not glaze over because yeah. he pisses everyone off. He does. And, th- like, there is a reason that Percy doesn't like him. And it's not just because he's like, oh, my dad has other kids. Well, I was going to say, I think part of the reason that in the first half of the book he's more annoying and in the second half of the book it's more of, like, there's a sweetness about it is I almost think that it's supposed to be reflective of Percy's relationship with him. 
You know what I mean? Like, in the first half of the book, Percy is resentful. He's embarrassed. He doesn't understand, like, why, like, his dad did this to him. Like, Tyson, like, makes his life more complicated, not less complicated. Like, he's the the laughingstock of the camp. And then while Percy's on this journey with Tyson, he really starts to appreciate who Tyson is as a person and understand more about who he is, like, emotionally. And then when Tyson... And how brave he can be, because it's when Tyson sacrifices himself on the confederate ship when it blows up that Mm -hmm. percy really mourns him and is like i treated him like not great and like all he did was like love me basically and honestly this is um one example there are a couple where percy really has to like let go of his fatal flaw yeah and he has to be like i have to lead someone that i love in order for me to succeed in the long run which he also doesn't hear as olympus Mm -hmm. uh with leaving bob and jameson and tartars which he's like he's really fucked up over that in that book like he is about to fight everyone because he's so angry like he's literally like i will destroy he says this i will destroy gay with my bare hands i'm like okay let's let's calm down percy yeah but um yeah i mean i think that was really hard for him and he was regretting it the entire time he was just like all he felt was he kept and he kept holding on to like a little bit of hope that tyson would be like alive um yeah because he did know it was possible for cyclopses to like survive yeah a fire but he was also like he could have drowned yeah and also like how the fuck did clarice survive that is a question. That I do not know, and I well, because she had the other lifeboat, right? Was yeah, that but they were also like going down the whirlpool and all. Like, what? <laughs> maybe the blast like flew the. And then also, lifeboat. it got really confusing when Percy was like like taken up by a uh, Skrilla or whatever. Oh yes, and then Skrilla. and then somehow he just like punches her in the face or something, and then he like dives back into the water and saves Annabeth. And then somehow they get a lifeboat. It's, like, it's very interesting. It's also just, like, so much happening at once. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Like, let's take a breather. I (laughs) I can't catch up. I think there's some parts where Rick Riordan was like, I'm just gonna let this be a little mysterious. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he was like, Percy is going to be saved. He uses some gimme points, basically. He's like, we already know that Percy can breathe underwater, so him drowning, the readers aren't gonna, the readers aren't gonna care that he doesn't drown. And then Annabeth saving Percy without much explanation as to, like, how it all happened is maybe a little weird, but the audience is with me so far, they'll buy into that enough to not investigate it too much. You know what I mean? What's really interesting that um, I plan on making a Tumblr post about at one point is that in the first book, Lightning Thief, it is, like, clearly stated that unless Percy concentrates, he doesn't get wet, right? Yeah. And throughout the series, Rick just sort of lets that go by heroes of olympus it's like he has to concentrate in order to not get wet but that was not like he basically retconned that entire thing yeah well um in titan's curse it's still true that percy has to like concentrate if he wants to get wet like yeah i don't know when it changed i want to say it it changed in heroes of olympus it probably did Um, because i just remember in blood of olympus him and jason are like at the bottom of the ocean and then (laughs) he's just like percy like you're wet and he was like yeah i got distracted but like he didn't need to get distracted in order to stay dry that's he found out that he 
But also, it is weird because how did it take him so long to realize? Because, like, he showers. But I guess <laughs> if, you're, if a, you're in the shower for the purpose of, of getting showering, shower, yes. Yeah. But also, when he would go swimming, maybe it's the same thing, but... Yeah, I think it might be the same thing where it's, like, he expects it, so that's what he gets. But once he becomes a son of Poseidon and realizes that, the world kind of opens up a little bit. Th- this is something that's going to be interesting to see how they do in the TV show. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how they handle, like, a lot of the underwater stuff in the TV show. Yeah. It will be cool. It will be cool. Well, I guess they there's kind of a precedent with the Aquaman movies. So, like, the technology for how to do it visually is there. It's just, like, how they decide to go yeah, about it. Yeah, the Aquaman it. movies also got horrible reviews, so let's hope it's not like the Aquaman movie. The Aquaman movie was... Listeners I know I had, a fun, I had a fun time with that I Aquaman movie. I haven't seen movie. it. We should watch that stone. We should watch it. It's a great stone movie. And Willem Dafoe's in it, and he's hilarious. I just love Jason Momoa. Yeah, so you'll definitely have fun with Aquaman. And it'll have, like, a lot of fun, like, Percy Jackson connections, I think, in terms of just it being about, like, an underwater prince or something, you know? Yeah. What I like about the series is each book does a lot to set up the next one in terms of the overarching plot. And this book does, like, really two key things. It weaves the Thalia ending into the plot very well. Like, you can... Yeah. When you know it's happening and you read the book, you can see the pieces there. Like, Luke alludes to... He's like, I was gonna give you the fleece when we were done with it anyway. And everyone's like, what the fuck is that about? And then there was this other, like, really key... Oh, yeah. Percy has the dream with Thalia in it, very briefly, and he doesn't know who she is, but it's, like, obvious in hindsight who it is, because black hair, punk clothes, and she has the bracelet, too, that's Aegis, and then, in the end, obviously, Thalia's, like, completely resurrected. Yeah. It is very interesting to think about that whole overarching thing, and it is weird, there's just the idea that Luke basically wanted that so that they could bring Thalia back, so yeah. she would be the prophecy kid instead. Yeah. And, like, there's a higher chance of her being on their side. But she came back and she was like, fuck no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. She's like, you betrayed me, not the other way around. I fucking died. That's not my fault. Well, it's more complicated than that in Titan's Curse. But yeah. you can tell that Luke, I do think, genuinely believes that Thalia will agree with him, honestly. Which, and I understand why he thinks that, because of their life on the run together, and then when she dies... Again, I can understand why there are resentments there of Zeus preserving her life as a tree, but, like, not But into... she ended up getting to live at the end of the day. Like, she, oh, if yeah, he didn't but... preserve her, she wouldn't have been able to be brought back. No, it's true. I just mean, like, what else could Zeus... Like, was turning her into a tree all that Zeus could have done in terms of, like, helping them out? You know what I mean? No, definitely not. And definitely you... not. But Zeus is, like, the worst of them all. Yeah. But that's what I mean and is he's that the Luke, most two dimensional. That's what I mean like. is that like Luke and Thalia, if they had had resentments about if those resentments about that moment were like strong enough, it would make sense that they would be on the same side. I mean, I think that Thalia really does understand where he's coming from. Yeah. I just think that she can't quite be like, okay, but we're gonna screw over all of our friends back at camp. Yeah. And again, we'll get more into like the Luke Thalia like divide there with um <coughs> the Titans curse. But that was a really big part of this book. I mean, not huge, but you can definitely tell it's in there. And then another thing that they really wove into this book well was the prophecy. Because this is the first time that there's really explicitly mentioned to be a prophecy about Percy or a child of the big three and what will happen when they turn 16, which is they'll either choose to save the gods or destroy them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's left out that Percy could die it is left out that percy could die yeah yes but the age 16 is finally yeah stated which is important because percy's like uh, like this is basically when percy starts like counting down the years yeah and the fact that that's introduced 
with the that's introduced during kind of the siren subplot and the fact that that's introduced and then followed up with the resurrection of thalia is like so awesome in terms of building the plot because it's like oh so he's like maybe i don't have to do this yeah well it's like you as a reader you're like oh percy's the kid of the prophecy like that like we're going we're full steam ahead like we're going forward and then it's like wait a minute but what if luke brought in a wild card which he did which he did yeah played the wild card luke is a mastermind he is he's playing 4d chess he's not quite on the dumbledore level no one is on the dumbledore level and i think that it's also cool that this book like offers an alternative like in harry potter harry is the chosen one and to be fair and harry they do get into the prophecy and how it could have applied to neville but the instant yeah that's a whole subplot but the instant that voldemort killed lily and james it was decided that it was percy or Harry. Harry. Yeah. We keep it's hard. hard. It's hard. Um, so, like, once Voldemort uh, kills his family, like, there's no question who the Chosen One is. It's always going to be Harry. Versus in these books, I do like that it's like, oh, it could be Percy. Wait a minute. Thalia is alive again. It could be Thalia. Wait a minute. Nico is here. Yeah, it could be Nico. fucking Nico. Yeah. And honestly, if you really get into it, it could have been Nico. But, because Nico's really, like, what, 85? Like... <laughs> In another world, it w- it would have been Nico. It could have, yeah. If like if, he didn't get stuck if in they'd that never casino. been put in the Lotus Casino, I mean, really, it would have been Bianca. Yeah, and it could have been Bianca if she didn't become a hunter. It's true, yeah. Well, yeah. There's like so many different ways that it could have been like a variety of characters, and that's what keeps the series really interesting because you see how kind of like flexible fate is almost in these. But books. what they don't really talk about is the the it could have been Jason. Well, I don't know about that because. Maybe it's because he's I Roman. feel like they had a different pro. I feel like the Romans probably had a different prophecy. Yeah. So I it wouldn't surprise me if Jason fulfilled, like, the Roman equivalent of that prophecy. Which wasn't nowhere near as <laughs> powerful as Percy, but I won't say much. I sound sick, don't I? A little bit, yeah. Fucking hell. And then, basically, like, the last point I have on my list is, like, the quest for this book. The quest for this book is honestly kind of why I think it's not one of the better ones. Like, the quest yeah, is fine. Yeah, because it's, it's just an ode to the Odyssey. It, really. But it's really just the Odyssey. Like, I mean, it's a lot shorter than the Odyssey. Like, what like, happens Lord. is the Sirens, the entrance to the Sea of Monsters, and the Cyclops, who they defeat with the same kind of no-name method. Although, I do like that it plays on I think they myth. mentioned the cows. You remember the cows in the Odyssey? I don't. What were the cows up to? Um, uh, I don't remember that well. I read the Odyssey like six years yeah. ago. But I yeah, I read it too. But basically, like, it's like Apollo's cows. That yeah. Well, yeah. Hermes mentions that when he's talking about like how he like yeah. fucked with Apollo when he was a baby, basically. Also interesting that Hermes is Apollo's younger brother. Damn, he is. Yeah. He seems so much more mature. He does. Apollo is literally the most immature of all the guys. That's why he, he keeps me. fucking getting sent down and becoming human. How how many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? That's like No, literally in Trials of Apollo, like one of like the first few chapters, he's just like, Yeah, so Zeus has this three strike rule and this is my third strike, so I'm just gonna hope that he doesn't keep me as human forever. <laughs> That's really funny. The idea that Zeus has like a three strike rule for his kids. Yeah. Which honestly, he didn't even give Thalia a three strike rule. No! He just said strike. 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 But we won't get into yeah. that yet. I honestly kind of wish we got, I get why this is, isn't in the books and it would have been kind of different, but it would have been interesting to get a little bit more about Zeus as a father from some of the gods, you know? It would have. Because 
I Artemis, think that you do get that in you, Trials of Apollo. Yeah. Sure. Artemis, Apollo, Hermes. Like, they mention that Zeus is their dad, like, in passing, but they don't really get into, like, what that's kind of, like, like, you know? Well, also, because I don't think... I mean, Apollo's tried to overthrow Zeus. Hera's tried to overthrow... Like, no one likes <laughs> no Zeus. No one likes Zeus. <laughs> and that's the thing. And in Heroes of Olympus, in Blood of Olympus, Zeus is basically blaming Apollo for, like, the entire thing, when really he should be blaming Hera because she fucking started it. Yeah. But... And then Jason's just like, uh, father, this is incorrect and unjust. And then Zeus is like, and the air starts like basically vaporizing around Jason and he's like having trouble breathing. And then Artemis is like, you know, dad, let's just calm down. And then. (laughs) That's what it's like at home. Yeah. And basically Artemis does talk about Zeus a little bit in Charles Paul. And he's like, and she's like, basically I'm his favorite. Uh, and that's why I don't really get in trouble when I do crazy shit. But he doesn't like Apollo. Uh, and he doesn't really like any of his demigod children. Um, Oof, that's a blow. Yeah, I mean... It, but it's true, we basically know that about him and Thalia. Yeah, and he he has a conversation with Jason uh, in Blood of Olympus, and it's sort of, like, alluded that he's like, oh, like, you're making me so proud, but then Jason, like, sort of speaks out against him, and he's yeah. like, nope, never mind, fuck you. <laughs> so, Zeus is just such... He's so power-hungry that he can't deal with anyone else standing in his way. Yeah. And that's why it's like, he doesn't even like the fact that his brothers basically are at an equal power level with yeah him. and that's why he keeps like he keeps them on a leash yeah no it's true but just kind of a little bit back to the quest like no, yeah yeah i mean no it's fine but you're right like this quest is like basically kind of the odyssey in a lot of ways what i like about a lot of these books is that even when there's like a key inspiration for the quest they pick and choose myths from like a variety of different heroes versus the heroes that they got like myths from in this book were just like Odysseus basically and also they don't even enter the sea of monsters until the middle of the book you know what I think is a real missed opportunity here is they should have had Athena in this book because yeah. of how strong like her very strong connection with Odysseus it's true that would have been really good honestly especially since it's kind of Annabeth heavy and yeah they should have had Annabeth talking more about Odysseus it's and, true Odysseus just- should have been like a son of a like they could like I can't remember what his lineage is in like actual Greek mythology but Rick or Iordan kind of changes people's lineage as he kind of wants sometimes like it would have been cool Who does he change maybe not heroes or like I feel like he like did was Didalius always a son of Athena in the myths I feel like that was added by Rick I think that Didalius was I can look it up okay because um. I feel like that was added by him but I could be wrong but I feel like he could have made like Odysseus like a son of Athena that would have been cool and it would have been interesting because it would have been like a son of athena in charge of like naval warfare like the kind of the clash of athena and poseidon okay so yes uh daedalus wasn't specifically a uh, child of athena he was like athenians basically made it part of the myth that he was somehow related to her. related to her yeah. yeah i think and there's a lot of stuff like that in old mythology where it's like oh you aren't the direct son of zeus or whatever but you're a descendant of him because like that's just as powerful in terms of like propaganda <laughs> basically yeah and let's see what odysseus's parentage is Laertes. Laertes. Yeah. yeah so he doesn't even, he's not even a demigod yeah but in the series i'm pretty sure he is a demigod yeah it wouldn't surprise me if that's something but i don't think he's a child later. of athena i don't it, i feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity but it is yeah rick does sort of pick and choose which i kind of appreciate that he like makes it his own yeah i think it would have been cool to maybe pull in some elements of elements of like the trojan war into sea of monsters too 
It would have been. There are a lot of things that he misses out on that he sort of just, like, throws into Heroes of Olympus. But yeah. He's like, well. Might as well. Yeah. I feel like that's, like, the scrap, you know? Basically. He was like, I'll make something of my scrap documents. And there was also this, like, meme that I saw that was basically, like, or it was, like, a list of all of the monsters that Rick didn't include in yeah. PJO. And then there's, like, Heroes of Olympus, and it's, like, they're all included. They're all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another thing that this book kind of introduces to that is fun is when they're at Virginia Beach the concept that all of these franchises that open up across the country are connected to the monsters. The donut shop. Yeah, the donut uh, shop. And that being... It's interesting. Annabeth says that it's, like, a kid... Of, like, two sons of Hermes or, like, kids of Hermes who do it. But it's interesting because it's not really explained, like, why? Or, like, if that was, like, for... Like, if it was supposed to be a good thing that ended up bad or if they were, like, evil kids of Hermes. I mean, and I don't also, think it matters that much, but it's fun. No. Hermes kids are just crazy. But also, <laughs> what I think is really funny is, like, you know the monster donut scene yeah. with the Hydra? And then Annabeth's like, Percy, every fucking head you cut off opens another donut shop, so stop! <laughs> and then he's just like, oh, I can't! <laughs> and then Clarice ends up saving them. Yeah, Clarice does save their asses. Yeah, and that happens actually very late in the book, but it's like one of... Because it happens after they escape the yeah, Princess they're Andromeda. They're at camp for a very long time. Yeah, because they have, like, the chariot race, and then the oracle, and the fleece, and stuff like that. Yeah, and him and Annabeth have a lot of fights in this book, too. Yeah, and when they're at the donut shop, that's also where Percy gets a lot, if not all, of the history with Annabeth and the Cyclops, too. Yeah, no, I think that is a really cool backstory, and it gives more backstory for Thalia when Mm -hmm. she's about to come into the story. Yeah, like, how brave she was, and, like... You can see Percy and see monsters kind of already comparing himself to Thalia. Yeah, and it's basically just a really good way for Annabeth to open up. Yeah. Because she was very close to off in The Lightning Thief. And she was basically like, you know what, I'll be your friend, but you don't get to know anything about me. It gives some history to the, like, final stand on Half-Blood Hill that was not necessary, but, like, is fun. Like, helps, like, build up the backstory more, too. Yeah. You know, one thing that would have been interesting, though, is if it was Luke that made that final stand. Yeah. And I'm surprised that it... I mean, I'm not surprised that it wasn't, but it would have been... I think the idea is that, like... Because Luke was two years older, Luke was 14, and Thalia was 12, so he was older. But I think, like, what I like about it is that I'm assuming Luke's job was to protect Annabeth and Grover, like, basically to protect Annabeth as much as he could, and Grover, probably and get them across the line while well, while Thalia, like, held it off. I just think it's so cool that it's Thalia who has, like, the No, I, I really like that he did that, honestly, yeah. because it's, like, it's one of the first times in the series that it's, like, a female character. Yeah, and it totally fits with Thalia's personality and also her being the daughter of Zeus because she's, like, the most powerful of them. It does, and it also shows, like, her and Percy both have this need to always be the hero. Yeah. And that shows up in Titan's Curse very early on. So at, true, yeah. At the, at the boarding school. And you can, like, imagine, too, like, how Luke goes from that final stand. And we know that Grover feels incredibly guilty about it, so I imagine Luke also struggled with enormous amounts of guilt as well. That then became just anger at the gods. Yeah. But you can see how, like, that guilt and anger and like rage as like a 14 year old and the only one who like the only ones who survived and understood what it was was like annabeth who's a seven and grover a satyr and you see how luke can would take all of that anger and rage and just put it into becoming like the greatest sword fighter ever 
Yeah. Where he was like, never fucking again. Never fucking again. Not on my watch. Yeah, and also, this is basically, like, this is when you find out, like, what Grover went through. And this is where you really, like, Annabeth basically tells Percy, like, yeah, Grover, like, like, he kind of fucked up. Like, it wasn't really his fault, but, like, he got a lot of the blame for it and he struggled with it ever since. And Percy's like, I had no idea. Yeah. And then he, like, he doesn't see Grover differently, but I think he has, like, a new respect for Grover. He does, yeah, and for Grover's, like, quest and for what Grover does. Yeah, and the fact that, like, after all that, Grover still, like, went back out there and he was like, I'm gonna yeah. do this again and, like, I'm gonna make sure I do it right. And yeah. then, like, he really went, he surpassed all expectations. It's true. And Grover in The Lightning Thief has, like, a moment where he tells Percy about how he failed, too. So it's clear that Grover still, like, carries that guilt with him yeah. of, like, letting Thalia down in his eyes. Yeah, but he didn't tell Percy all the details. Yeah, or definitely like, not. Yeah, or how he had kind of led them to the Cyclops lair, like, on accident. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he like, left out that part. Yeah, and then, like, he basically... He ended, up, he ended up basically kind of accidentally alerting a bunch of monsters that they yeah. were there, and then he was like, oh, shit! And then they, like, had to sort of scramble. What but Grover did play his part in that, too. Yeah. Like, he helped. What Grover fills Percy in on in Titan's Curse, or in The Lightning Thief, is basically the scaffolding of the Luke-Annabeth relationship, the tragedy of Thalia, and the position that Grover is in of being like, if I don't help you win this quest, like, it's basically over for me. This is kind of off topic, but just thinking about Thalia's death, uh, one thing I think is very funny is that at Camp Half-Blood, death is just like, other than Thalia, it's just like, kind of something they joke about. Yeah. It's just like, oh, they died in that chariot race. And, like, they literally talk about that, like, because they're like, we're bringing back the chariot races? And Tantalus is like, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> and then they're all like, we're gonna fucking die. And he's like, I still can't eat food, so you get to suffer with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that is very funny. That, honestly, I think it's a way that Rick sort of makes it so that the characters, like, cope with yeah. death. But um, he does make it so that, like, death is sort of just looked over a lot of times. Yeah. Which is what makes those last three books so difficult. Because death, in terms of death. The, death is really close in those books because yeah. Percy doesn't lose anyone on the quest in the first book and he doesn't lose anyone on the quest in the second book. Like, yeah. he loses Tyson briefly, but Tyson ends up being okay. And then, like, making him that sick-ass shield. That shield is really cool. That I forgot about that. Fire as fuck. And that just adds, him making that shield for Percy adds so much to his character. I know. It really does. And well, you like, really, that's what I mean when I say that, like, in the second half of the book, like with Percy, you start to realize that, like, while Tyson does have these, like, very, like, kiddish, like, qualities, like, he's not very, like, mature in these certain areas, like, he is, like, a person, like, he does, like, have feelings, and, yeah. like, he is, like, very, like, thoughtful, he's very thoughtful and creative. And he's not that mature because he's been living in a fucking cardboard box his yeah. entire life. Well, that's another thing, too, that's interesting is that, again, where Rick Riordan, a lot of these characters are homeless children, and Tyson was homeless. Yeah. Yeah, Rick does raise awareness to specific things in very, like, minute ways that a yeah. lot of people wouldn't, like, pick up on, but if they reread it, like, at about our age, we're like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. This is some serious stuff when you boil it down. And a lot of the kids in this series being homeless or struggling with homelessness is definitely a part of the background of Camp Half-Blood and why Camp Half-Blood is so important. But the books where Rick, I think, really gets into homelessness as, like, a serious facet of the teenagers' lives are the Magnus Chase books, honestly. Like, I'm not saying this as being, like, you have to read Magnus Chase, but, like, that part of it is, like, 
is like a really big part of those books and like homelessness in like Boston too. Listen, Sasha, if you want me to get through the Raven Cycle, you gotta stop suggesting other series. <laughs> but yes, I think that I mean there. I think that he has the like specific things he's focusing on for each series. Yeah, like Percy Jackson's very big about climate change. Climate change is yeah. I and family each issues. book has like a big issues about climate change in them. Yeah, too. which is really cool. And way before climate change was even like a really accepted thing. Well, that's the thing, Artem, is that, like, people basically knew- people have known climate change has been around for, like, decades. And we're just stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's not fine. Well, the fossil fuel industry lobbied hard to keep the government from doing anything about it. And the fossil fuel industry also lobbied hard to spread intentional disinformation to people so they stopped believing in climate change. Like, the whole idea of a personal carbon footprint is the result of the fossil fuel industry trying to turn responsibility away from the fact that the trash that you and I create will never be anything compared to how horrible a fossil fuel company pollutes the environment. Which isn't to say that like there aren't things in our lives that we can change or that we should change, but just that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if every single American is recycling, if the fossil fuel companies continue, and like the oil companies continue to just like run around un- um, unregulated, basically. It's so sad that shit, like, hasn't really changed. I know. It's really depressing, especially as, like, our climate, like, gets worse. Like, as I've grown up, like, the environment has gotten, like, worse. Like, the weather is worse. Like, natural disasters happen, like, so frequently around me in ways that are noticeably different than when I was just a kid, like, over yeah, the past, Yeah, I mean, like, when we were young, years. tornado warnings weren't as big as they are now. Yeah, and, like, tor- don't get me wrong, Tennessee has always been a tornado place, but, but, like, the storms that we got, like, a couple weeks ago, like... We got a big storm, like, last week. Yeah. And we had a storm the week before that, and the week before that... We had the snowpocalypse. Mm-hmm, yeah. In February. We had the tornadoes from last year, like, and the tornadoes happen more and more frequently as, like, the weather on the coast gets fucked up because tornadoes are just hot air and cold air meeting, so. And it's just the way that, you know, the currents meet. Yeah. But, I don't know, back to Percy Jackson, I I just think that it is very cool that he is so focused on climate change. And I think that it's really cool that Percy's friendship with Grover leads to Percy being really interested in climate change. Yeah. And leads to him being really really passionate about like marine biology and keeping mm-hmm. the ocean safe yeah and those things will all come up in titan's curse battle of the labyrinth especially yeah, with, with bessie a little yes. ode to bessie here bessie love, pam and then and then in the last olympian it comes up a little bit but climate change is more of like a the climate change arc i want to say is kind of resolved with the pan stuff like it it's is, still yeah. a it's still an issue in the last there's olympian there's the council of the cloven elders that's sort of alluded and, like, like, the monster, the, like, spirit animal monsters of the Hudson and stuff like that, but... Oh my gosh, I'm not sure if you remember this part in The Last Olympian, so I won't say it, but there's a very funny Grover part, like, towards the beginning. I'm excited. Grover is such a funny guy. I love Grover. I do, too. Uh, Grover never misses. He doesn't. (laughs) That's the thing with, like, the the main three characters is, like, their chemistry together is just so good. Mm -hmm. It really is. And, honestly, their chemistry with Tyson isn't that bad either although annabeth takes a while to warm, warm up, up to, to him. him yeah like sea of monsters by the end of it she's like oh like he might have died that's sad yeah i like that you get to see annabeth change in sea of monsters as well like she does undergo like a personal character development with her relationship with tyson yeah which she hadn't really undergone any development yet yeah 
honestly, Percy doesn't undergo that much development throughout the series. But I think that's because he's on, like, he's, he's a very good person from the start. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it's just, like, maturing is basically what it is. Like, yeah. he doesn't have any, like, major characteristics that change, but each book he matures in a key way. And in the second <coughs> book, like, a lot of that is with Tyson. Yeah, it is. It is. It's and like then in third book, like, okay, I'm not the only child. Yeah, and in third book, and we'll get into this with the Titans curse, but he matures in his relationships with Zoe and Thalia, too. Yeah, and even Bianca. Yeah. Um, and he just, I feel like he gains respect for women that he hadn't yet had. That's definitely a part of the arc of that book. Like, if you compare how he talks about the hunters in the beginning to the end, like, it makes sense. Yeah. Which isn't to say that my main man Percy ever was sexist or anything like that. Um, I just think that Rick did that intentionally to also yeah. raise awareness. I mean, like, Rick has his flaws, but he he's always coming from a good place, which I do. Appreciate. Yeah. I think that's something that he's very good at. Yeah, but I think that's our episode for yeah. today. And then when we're back next time, we'll get into the Titans Curse, Sasha's the first of the favorite. Elite Three. We'll see if it's still your favorite. Yeah, by you. the end of the series. And by next week, I will have also read Battle of the Labyrinth, which is going to be wild, I think, because I don't remember that. I kind of remember the big bits and pieces, but not a lot, so... It'll, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to see what you think of it. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Yeah.